The Bible Study Podcast, episode 713. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues a study of the book of 1 Corinthians with chapter 15. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We continue on with chapter 15. We've only got two more chapters left in this book, and then we'll jump into the second letter written to the Corinthians. The Resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Now, as with the rest of the letter, the reason why Paul brings this up is there's some problems with the resurrection of the dead in Corinth. And he's going to get into that in the next section. But he's sort of starting with, this is what I talked to you about. I preached to you that first and foremost, that Christ died and then was resurrected. And both of those are important. The death was important because that took our place. He died for our sin so that we didn't have to. And the resurrection was important because that was part of the proof of his death. It's easy to say he died for a sin, but how do you know? The resurrection was how God showed us the power that he put in Jesus by bringing him back from the dead. And he said, I'm not just making this up. This is something we've talked about before, but it's also something that there are are witnesses too. And he talks about the witnesses, including Peter and the 12, and then also 500 brothers and sisters. And this is one of the places we learn how many people that Jesus appeared to after that time in that resurrection to ascension time period. Now that may have been at the ascension. We don't know exactly what he's referring to, but there's 500 people or more than 500 people who were witnesses. And then he breaks out a couple different ones besides Peter. And one is James. And by James, he doesn't mean James and John, the sons of Zebedee. That would be James, who's one of the 12. But this is James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, who's Jesus' half-brother. This is James the elder, uh, elder not to to Jesus, but elder to the other brothers of Jesus. Half-brothers, obviously. And that is interesting because we don't learn this elsewhere in the book of James, for instance, was which was written by this James, this James, the son of Joseph and Mary, he doesn't mention this, and it's not mentioned in the book of Acts. And so th- we learn it through Paul, and Paul has spent time in Jerusalem, so Paul has met James, and this is probably where he knew this from. But 
with the last time we saw James in the Gospels, right, there's time that happens between the Gospels and James being the leader of the church in Jerusalem and, and writing the book of James and being James the Elder, who is a well-known Christian. The last time we saw him before that in the Gospels, James and Mary and the other brothers have come to take Jesus home because they think he's a little nuts. He's now saying he's the son of God, and they literally come to take him home. And so James, apparently at the time of Jesus' death, is still not a believer in who Jesus is. And so after Jesus' resurrection, he appears to James. Similarly, at the time of Jesus' death, Paul did not believe. In fact, Paul goes on to persecute the early church, as we read in the book of Acts, as Paul talks about in his letters, that he even has some Christians killed for being Christians. And so that's why he says to me as one abnormally born or untimely born is the other translation that I've heard of this, as one who was born at the wrong time, as one who didn't deserve this revelation of Jesus. And so Paul has preached Jesus resurrected, has preached Jesus crucified, he said. And he said, and I, and I witnessed this. I had this revelation that where Christ appeared to me, in fact, after that time of the ascension. And see, so I'm, I'm the least of the apostles, he says, and he's, he knows, he considers himself that because of what he did before he becomes an apostle, what he did before he became a Christian, that he is one who persecuted the church of God. But he was still chosen by God for this ministry that he has been doing. He says, I worked harder than all of you. And elsewhere, he talks about the number of times he was stoned and left for dead or imprisoned or beaten or, you know, the things that he has gone through, shipwrecks and all. And so Paul is weighing this before them and saying, you know, this is what I preached to you. This is why I preached it to you. And this is what we know. Then he gets into the issue the resurrection of the dead. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, 
who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. So he kind of gets to the crux of the matter there at the end is they've been hanging out with people who have put these ideas in their head. Probably Greeks, because Greeks have a real problem. Their understanding is that the body is something to be done away with. The body is is somehow lesser than the the soul or whatever you call the uncorruptible part. And so they don't believe that resurrection of the dead is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It's It's folly to those who are Greek that they have trouble believing this. And so some of them don't believe this anymore. And he's saying, well, this is just ridiculous. Our faith is based on the resurrection of Christ. And so he just lays it out that if you can't believe that part, or if you want to be a Christian without belief in resurrection, he says, what a shame. You are most to be pitied. Because if there is no hope of resurrection, there is no hope in Christ. And it's all false. We often don't talk that way because we don't want to draw these lines that are really black and white, but Paul draws these lines very clearly. You believe in the resurrection or you don't, and Christianity is based on that belief. It's based on that hope also. And so he talks about the hope that we have through that, that Christ will put all enemies under his feet, that he will continue to become, that he is heading towards being supreme, and that when he does, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, Paul says that, of course, in lots more sentences than I said there, because we have a new pastoral candidate at my church who says Paul never says something in one sentence that can be said in five, and we can see that in this kind of writing. And then there's verse 29 gets this weird part that has been sometimes misinterpreted, I think. If there's no resurrection of the dead, what do those who are baptized for the dead? Why do we do that? Well, we don't do that. Um, the only group I know that does that is a uh, the Mormon church, which is not uh, a biblically sound church. Let's just say there are a number of things that are different in their beliefs from uh, Orthodox Christianity. And in general, we think these verses are there not to encourage us to baptize people in place of dead relatives, but because that was a practice that they were doing in Corinth. And so he's using that to say, you know, even your actions betray this belief in resurrection. So it's a it's an odd verse, and it's the only one you can find like it in the Bible as far as I'm aware. So not something I would base your faith on, but he's using this as part of his argument. And he's saying, you know, if there's no resurrection, then eat, drink, and 
be merry for tomorrow we'll die, that we would live very differently, he would live very differently, if not for this hope of resurrection. And then he goes on in this very long chapter to say the resurrection body. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor and the moon another and the stars another and the star different from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of earth. As is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Okay, there's a lot in that, and this is already a longer episode. I think the most interesting part of it is this analogy here that he is saying, when you think about the body, you think about the one you're used to. You think about the body that you have, the hands that you see, the eyes that you see them through, and all of that. That earthly, perishable body that will die, that will go into a grave and rot, or will be burned into ashes. We know that one. But he's saying, in the same way that when you take that seed and throw it into the ground, it doesn't come up looking like a seed. It comes up looking different. That as we are resurrected, we will be different, of different essence. And he says that in quite a few different words, but basically that's what he's saying is don't let your experience with this body 
blind you to the fact that resurrection is implying a different spiritual body, something different. He doesn't describe what it is. He doesn't say it looks the same. He doesn't say it looks different. He doesn't know. But he is saying that the essence of this is different, that we are all right now descendants of Adam, the first man, and we are like him. We are perishable. But we have been baptized into faith in the second man, who is Christ, who is spiritual, coming from heaven, and that we have that nature now as well, and that that's the body that will be resurrected, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, whatever that's made of. I can't tell you. Paul didn't tell you. He's just saying we will be like Christ because we have been adopted into his family through the act of what he did on the cross and that it will happen to all of us in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Okay, I think that's the essence of what he is saying, that resurrection is in front of us. Hang on, have faith, and stand firm. And with that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com. 